This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. You know what it is. There was a previous podcast called Fussy Eater. That was the podcast where Shag had food aversions and I held his hand and we got through some and we didn't get through others. Hooray. It was great. This is a different podcast. This one's called Spooko. And it's about me getting really properly spooked out about horror films. And it's about Shag holding my hand as I try to work my way through them. So far, I'm feeling a little bit cocky at night time, right? I go out and put out the garbage and the recycling and it's late because I've been tidying the house. I've been doing whatever else I do. Piss fighting around, cooking dinner, cleaning up after dinner, etc. And um, one of the things that's haunted me over the years doing that has been the lady in black. Now, we've spoken about the lady in black before. Shag, she is the horror protagonist in arguably the scariest movie of all time, Lady in Black, I think it's called, featuring Daniel Radcliffe. And my fear with this podcast was that I would bump into so much spooko stuff that my brain would get fried and ladies in black and gloved hands and um, Sadako from The Ring and whomever else would come and haunt my nightmares and I would never be able to put the garbage out at night again. I have to only do it in the daytime. Put the garbage out last night and I didn't get too paranoid about anything in the corner of my eye. I've got martyrs in my head though, and now I've got Sadako in my head, and I'm just on the fringe of getting spooked. And even though it's one night only, one spooky night only. Yeah, I was gonna say. This is sort of the second <laughs> half of one spooky night only. <laughs> but, but last night was before the spooky night. That's Sorry, that's exactly right. <laughs> it is one spooky night only. Um, and so uh, I'm sort of hanging on the edge of spooked. And so my question is, if we're talking about horror movies as eating chili peppers, riding roller coasters, getting a bit spooked, living on the edge... How far into our lives should we expect getting spooked to intrude? And what happens if you get too spooked? I think that's the thing about scary movies is that they affect you in unexplained ways. So Terminator, right? Oh, tell me about your experience with Does Terminator. Does it count as a horror movie? I Probably the ori- not. Oh, the original one yeah, definitely one. Has, sca- like, has takes some cues from scary movies. Absolutely. You've been to the childhood house I grew up in. Yes, I have. The Laundry... Ooh, that is a scary room. Yeah, it's down the end of a long hallway. From the age of, I'm going to say nine, when I saw Terminator 1, I was completely spooked that the T-800, I think, yeah. or the T-101. It was, no, it was the T-800, which I feel like was really... Because I don't think they ever imagined that the Terminator was going to be this... Trill- well, I don't know how many movies there are now. Million energy. But I, I don't think... 
that they ever imagined there being a second one, which is kind of cool because then when the T-1000 comes along, that's a good name for a robot. Uh, and it's yeah. almost like they saved the good name by calling the first one T-800. I don't want to undermine you too much and fellow spookos, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Arnie character in the first movie was called the T-101. Uh, and maybe. then in the second movie, he's marginally improved, and so it's called the T eight hundred, and goes up against Robert Patrick style. Who's T-1000. called the T one thousand? I think my favorite thing about this podcast is how we are absolutely not film experts. Oh, so please! This is this is one of those please. things where it's like more and more I'm realizing. It's not a jokester podcast because we are definitely not comedians. Although we do like having a bit of a goof. We like we like having a goof. Mm. We like how, while we have our spooks, we mm. like a goof with our spooks. <laughs> but it's also it's it's not a serious film theory podcast. Quite so. It's just a podcast about coming to terms with fears, like Fussy Eater is. So speaking of fears. One of the fears I have as we work through these versions is that Shag is driving who gets to select each film. And so earlier on in the piece, I sent Shag a text message of, yeah, here are some films I'm interested in. And since then, Shag's been driving. He chooses the films, he chooses the trailers. And in the case of classic Freddy earlier on, Shag got to choose not to watch a trailer, but to watch the ending. And I got a bit spooked out. And so there's an element and... I'm so glad it's not going to be Suspiria. <laughs> but there's an element where every episode I get a little bit spooked because I have to find out what you've chosen. So today is harking back to the goofy Freddy Krueger era yes, of horror. Yes, my favourite era. But <laughs> of, a, of a genre whose films I've never watched. <laughs> <laughs> but it is from the era, it's definitely from the era when we were very young children yes. and we were looking through the racks of videos at the video store and, you know, potentially like stealing a glimpse at the forbidden horror section. Spooko section. Just having a look at some of those front covers, maybe even turning them around, having a look at some of the images on the back section. And I think one of the big players from that era is the one we're talking about today. Ugh. It's called Hellraiser. Hellraiser. This is the one about pin, fat, Pinhead. Pinhead, yeah. Pinhead. And he is I a... Never, like, I've only just realised that Pinhead is like a goof... Like, it's a bit of a joke, right? Like, it's a goofy insult from the 80s. It's like, oh, you're a Pinhead sort of thing, which is like, means you've got a small brain. Oh! Is what it means, right? Oh, shit! But, but like the way that the Ring remake makes a horse something quite spooky, I think they do the same with this name, right? I agree. Do you, re- do you remember what Pinhead looks like? Yes. Let me tell you what he's, what he's all about. <laughs> or should we watch the trailer first? Let's watch the trailer. i got to say, the more I watch these trailers, I'm enjoying how much they put emphasis on a in-theme narrator. So that trailer ends with, you know, a very sort of spooko voice saying, we'll tear your soul apart. Oh, it's like a new kind of horror. You know, like yeah. the whole thing. And I feel like that really added to the trailer. What do you think? Uh, well, th- this is another thing I'm scared. This is a whole other reason I don't watch scary movies. <clears throat> Event Horizon style, hell dimensions forever. Right? So if you go toe to toe with Freddy, you die, then you die. Cool. You're dead. 
the one where it's like even in the after. I don't. I don't believe in an afterlife. But if there is one, Pete, this is that's a controversial thing to say. Anyway, <laughs> did, you, did you not I see Martyrs? That. Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry, flatliner style, Martyrs flatliner style. Let me whisper what the afterlife's all about. Keep doubting, Pete. Anyway, keep going. But the idea that um, oh you're dead and now we're gonna tear your soul apart. Oh, this is something profoundly upsetting. I'm like oh great. So. See, that's interesting. So at the very end of that trailer, we hear our titular character, Pinhead, saying, I'm going to tear your soul apart, which is why you're referencing that. Why did you then jump to Event Horizon? Do you think this is an Event Horizon kind of film? No, Event Horizon, I understand you get locked forever in the hell dimension. Well, yeah, it's like like hell is actually another dimension and the spaceship accidentally went to hell. And And you stay there forever, don't you? Yeah, and it's... But it's... It's a pretty unimaginative right. like, hell. Sam, Sam Neill's kind of the devil or something, isn't he? Well, he's, I think he's been there. and it's. But don't you think, like, if there was an actual, you know, dimension of eternal torture, they'd think a bit further than just, like, spikes and barbed wire and stuff? Would they need to? Yeah, well... I mean, for me, it'd be like, yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you have, look, you've, got pretty, you've got pretty simple days when yeah, it comes to your yeah, hell dimension. Yeah, exactly. Just want a few spikes. Fill me full of spikes. <laughs> Fill me full of barbed wire. Just a Give bit of pain. Nice rip, 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 rip the old skin off and we're, um, we're laughing away. But I thought these, the I thought Hellraiser or Pinhead was meant to be a Nubian or a Deglorbian or something who were into pleasure I thought it was going to be a little bit sexy a little bit fun and that kind of thing and fucking like tear your soul apart what does Wikipedia say about this? Well Pete so let's dive into this so it is a film based on the novel from British writer Clive Barker who again I don't mean to offend horror fans but he always came across like a cut rate Stephen King (gasps) (laughs) I don't know everything was just a bit more a bit more obvious a bit more blood like you know he has a collection of stories called the book of blood Hellraiser was based on a story called the hellbound heart which is just like I hate it when a story's title is it just says what it is we're a spooky it's a spooky (laughs) story the ghost haunting and I get that you can get away with stuff like this in the 70s and the 80s but still anyway it's based on that. At the time, Melody Maker called it the greatest horror film made in Britain. Roger Ebert... <laughs> Probably was. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck British horror films, am I right? Fuck you guys. What's up? Get at me. Resha's where you at. Come on. <laughs> the best... The best British horror movie. Roger Ebert. Shaun of the Dead has now eclipsed it. (laughs) So Roger Ebert decried its bankruptcy of imagination, which is pretty funny because it was followed by nine sequels. Oh, what? Uh, Nine? Way to drop a mic on Roger Ebert's no imagination. Do you make money out of the, like... Who's making money out of that? Uh, as long as you spend less money making it than you do in selling it, you make Hang money. Hang on. Just take me through that again. Okay, so big budget movie. Yep, I'm with you. Cool, because people like big budget movies. I'm there. Waterworld. I'm there. Let's do it. But you need to make sure that big budget movie has a big budget audience. So then you need to spend the same amount of money you spent making it on marketing to make sure it gets in the mind. Exactly the same spend. amount. 
Oh, like a close enough. Within how much? Like, you know, like a big uh, big film, I imagine. And again, I'm talking about my ass because I'm not an expert, but like a big film, I'm sure, would spend upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing things Sick. on top of hundreds of millions of dollars and making them, right? Sick. So then you need to make sure that what you're making back out of that is the hundreds of millions of dollars plus hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Which is yep. why, you know, these big films do marketing. But... You create a horror movie that is always going to have a niche audience because horror has, you know, it's going to lock out younger people straight away because they're going to be they're going to be rated highly. What, is, what does a big budget horror film make? What, what did it follows make? It make a hundred million, two hundred million. Peach, I don't know. Like, I, I, because like Avengers will make uh, literally one and a half billion or two billion or, yeah, or something. Yeah, totally, it? totally. So this horror movie has a niche following now. Mm-hmm. Horror people, like horror fans, are there to see their bad guy, see some deaths, blah blah blah, right? Okay. They're, they're they not, sound awesome. They're Glad not, we got a podcast about them. They're not a hard crowd. To, yeah. But so what you do is you slowly make more sequels that maybe don't go to cinema, so you're not spending so much money on marketing. Maybe don't have the same production values. Probably don't have the same actors. You have like cheaper actors, but it's still the same bad guy. It's still the same costume. It's still the same scary idea. Okay. And you churn them out and you keep churning them out. And as long as you're not spending too much money on them, you're probably going to rake back a lot more money on them and you're going to keep being able to be profitable on that on that franchise so I want to found a franchise do I yeah. like this is this is James oh, James, totally. James Wan and Lee Cornell's great success totally totally he's like yep we kicked it off buddies yeah we're out of here in the same way that we're founding this we founded a franchise on <laughs> both of us overcoming our versions <laughs> of things we're going to have to find another it's so version. scalable <laughs> it's just you and I <laughs> sitting here Gary V would love it Anyway, anyway, so I digress. This is Hellraiser based on a novella called The Hellbound Heart, which doesn't sound spooky. Really. Like, are we taking shots at Clive Barker now? Like I'm 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 happy. I've got free smoke, free smoke for anyone for anyone who needs it. I don't know. I'm I feel like we're getting a bit cocky. <laughs> I feel like we're just pulling. <laughs> Get at me, Clive. What's up? I mean, dude, Clive Barker essentially made a film that spawned nine sequels. How bad can he be? It's got to be great, right? How many podcasts have we made? (laughs) On one night only. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Hellraiser. Can't wait. We start in Morocco. Uh, oh, okay, is, yep, sorry. Yep, fine, fine. And this is kind of that gross thing that they did in 80s films where... They Anywhere in Africa racist. or Morocco, yep. <laughs> where somewhere like Morocco feels exotic and it's like wind swirling and uh, and like people are wearing like hats, explorer hats and, and stuff. Robin Williams voicing this super racist um, <laughs> opening part of Aladdin. Yep. So Frank Cotton buys a puzzle box from a dealer, from a de- just a dealer, a puzzle That's box dealer. That's the most poorly written sentence <laughs> I think I've ever heard in my life. Frank Cotton buys a puzzle box from a dealer. Great, <coughs> evocative. I, I presume Clive, Clive Barker wrote the Wikipedia entry as well. Clive, what the fuck is up? In a bare attic, when Frank solves the puzzle, hooked chains emerge and tear him apart. Cool. <laughs> Jumanji style. Later, the re- in fact, that's a fair- in the way that we re- you realise that every film is basically a copy of another film, this is a dark Jumanji, is what Hellraiser oh, is. Oh, real talk? It's kind of... If you combined Jumanji... I thought there was a sex element to this. If, I thought we were going to be some saucy smooching no, and yeah, stuff. No, yeah, look, if you combine Jumanji with Event Horizon... Yes. 
With that awesome. movie where Sarah Michelle Gellar dares her stepbrother to sleep with uh, that girl. <gasps> cruel Intentions. With Cruel Intentions. Combine those three movies together Sick. and you get Hellraiser. Yeah, That's kind of what Hellraiser is. Every me and every you. Let's do it. I love how on this podcast the only films we reference were made between the year 1998 and 2002. <laughs> So after he's torn apart, we cut to the room later on and it's filled with swinging chains and covered with the remnants of his body. A black-robed figure picks up the box and returns it to its original state, restoring the room to normal. Uh, so the body part's aren't there anymore? No, there's just a box. Okay, cool. Feels like, feels like an unrelated thing, right? Done and dusted. Oh, Let's... start of a James Bond film. <laughs> Sick, okay. It's basically the start of a James Bond film. Yep, I'm there. So short time afterward, Frank's brother Larry moves into the house to reveal to rebuild his strained relationship with his second wife, Julia, who had an affair with Frank shortly after their wedding. That's another shit sentence, Clyde Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Get to work, buddy. I also love that Frank's brother Larry moves into the house. The- we, we don't know which house. There's a house. Yep. That's where Frank's moved back into. Yeah, yeah, it's the house he's moved back into. To rebuild his strained relationship with his second wife, Julia, who had an affair with Frank shortly after their wedding. So people are just acting on their desires already. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm see with what, you. See yeah, what's happening yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, see what's it. beginning to happen? Every man, every year. Okay, so <laughs> Larry's teenage daughter, Kirsty, has chosen not to live with them and moves into her own place. There's just, oh. there's a lot of world building that happens sexy, at the start. sexy times for Kirsty. No, I think Kirsty is a decidedly sexless character. Okay. So Larry cuts his hand, carrying a bed up the stairs, and lets his blood drip on the attic floor. <laughs> Wait, this is one of the, this is why I love Wikipedia. Yep. So the next set. So okay. So he's got his he's got his hand <laughs> yeah, going yeah, up the there. stairs. His blood's dripped on the on yep, the floor. The blood resurrects Frank as a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The blood resurrects Frank as a skinless corpse who is soon found by Julia. Julia, wait, 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 wait. So you thought that was an escalation? Okay. Still obsessed with Frank, she agrees to harvest blood for him so that he can be fully restored. To harvest blood. Yeah. So, so you've she has to go get some blood from someone. Yeah, she has to find some blood so he can be restored. I don't know how blood. Like he's clearly got an. Oh, so Frank's corpse is like I'm skinless. Yeah. Some blood. Give me some blood. That's gonna restore. This is nuts. And Clive, in fact, you're bringing the heat now, buddy. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) All right. So Julia, is it it goofy? Am I laughing or am I freaking out or am I a bit of both? It's. Is it Freddy? It's gross. So he's gross. He looks gross. It's not good to look at. It's not like a film where he's hidden and you just see like a hint. Oh, he's like I'm a skinless corpse. He's a a gross, bloody, skinless corpse. Awesome. She's weirdly still like, yeah, but you're still hot. You're still clearly hot. Let me get some blood. (laughs) Can't wait. So to get this blood, Julie begins picking up men in bars and bringing them back to the house where she murders them. How much blood does she need? Well... Fucking, like, a tiny bit of blood from Blogsy's hand was enough to bring him back from the dead. Well, look, so Frank consumes their blood, regenerating his body. Frank explains to Julia that he had exhausted all sensory experiences, like that Tool song Stinkfest, which is about the same thing, which they had to censor. Because it's like... I mean, it's a gross song. Let's not go into Stinkfest. But anyway... Like what? 
Okay. Is that the, it was an evening I shared with the sun. <laughs> what is that song? To find out where we were on. Pete, what is this song you're singing? In the earliest days we were dancing in the shed. My fight, my thing. What, what, like, what am I singing? I don't know what you're singing. I'm thinking of the song that's like... Oh, fuck this. I'm getting my phone. No, Peach, it's the song that's like... Fingers deep inside the... I can't believe I'm singing it like Creed. This will hurt a little, but it's something you'll get used to. No, 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 no. It's like... Oh, you know what? I'm seeing the worst part of it. It's the one that's like, not enough. I need more. Nothing seems to satisfy. I said, I don't want it. I, I just need, need it. it. To feel. What is that? Maybe. No fuck, idea what you're saying. Man, if it stinks, maybe we've got to get it off the podcast. You know what? Yeah. Let's just let's cut that section. I don't think it was super good. All right. So let's go back to it. So Frank explains to Julia that he had exhausted all sensory experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I got too much skin. <laughs> <laughs> and sort out the puzzle box with the promise that it would open a portal to a realm of new carnal pleasures. When solved, the Cenobites came to subject Cenobites. him to the extremes of sadomasochism. So basically, he was like, apparently, this, if you solve this puzzle, you're going to get some way dirtier stuff. This is not sexo, right? And it's, I don't want to kink shame anyone, but having sex is really nice and being in pain is not all that nice. Yeah, but for some people, it is. Uh, I just accept that. All yeah, right. just That's accept- just, sorry, I don't want to kink shame anyone. Go get hurt and have sex at the same time. But <laughs> That's awesome. But, but if you'd like to. Whoa, and fuck. sometimes it's not about having sex. Sometimes it's just the being hurt. Cool, 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 cool. There are lots <laughs> of things I don't know. This is one of the various things I don't know about. All right. So that's the thing. So he's like, I'm going to open this box. When he opens the box, he gets torn apart. The Cenobites are like, cool. I see you want to know what it's like to feel like super pain. Let's take you to this realm where... Bad shit's going to happen. Pain. Yeah, man. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, anyway, but then he comes back as a blood trophy or whatever. <laughs> like, comes back I love drinking blood. <laughs> so, Kirsty, remember Kirsty? She'd moved out into her own house. Yeah, sorry, our daughter. Yep. Yeah, yep, she's, yep. she's doing her own thing. But she spies Julia bringing a man to the house. She follows her to the attic where she interrupts Frank's latest feeding. Frank attacks her, but Kirsty throws the puzzle box out the window, creating a distraction and allowing her to escape. Kirsty retrieves the box and flees, but collapses shortly thereafter. What? From exhaustion? I don't know. Just from collapses. carnal pleasure? No, like it's a print. Like she's gone upstairs to an attic, seen a skinless man feeding on, a, like a, a rando. Corpse. Yeah. Takes a box, throws out a window. It's probably a heavy box as well. <laughs> she's exhausted <laughs> from all the box throwing. <laughs> anyway, so. She awakes in a hospital where, again, it's like Ringu from the last episode. It's like, fucking don't solve the box. Stop oh, she's that. like, wolf, this box looks pretty spooky. <laughs> Let's just solve the box. <laughs> maybe that's going to make... Look, I mean, yeah. I've seen some spooky things, but maybe yeah. if I solve the box that's intrinsically connected yeah. to what I just saw, things are going to be okay. Yeah. So she solves the box. She summons the Cenobites and a monster called the Engineer. Again, Great spookiness where if I just said, hey, there's a there's an engineer in this building, you'd be like, good. <laughs> yeah. I hope that he can make sure that everything's in tip-top shape, right? Yeah. But you take that out of context and you call uh, a monster the engineer. Straight away, you're like, fuck, what is the engineer? It's like the butcher in Diablo. 
I'm going to say the butchie, like, yeah, man, delicious. Gonna get some ethical cuts. But if it's a video game, ooh, look out, my dude. All right, so the Cenobites are summoned with a monster called the Engineer, but Kirsty narrowly escapes from them. Again, like, Wikipedia, I don't know how... Didn't they, like, rip Frank into bits? She was also in hospital, lying in bed, solves a box, and somehow escapes from demons from the carnal pleasure realm, including the Engineer, who I assume is particularly competent. But you just, yeah, if he has the role of engineer above not just being an evil monster. He's Practicality, a- <laughs> right? Planning. You know? The first thing the engineer is going to size up the exits in the room. Exactly. That's how he's going to... He'll be like, I'm the guy who hooks you apart and tears your yeah, little uh, you'd body think into the other room. Cenobites would be totally like, how can we inflict as much pain as possible? Exactly. We just think in the moment like a dog, but the engineer is planning it Yeah, out. relax, guys. We're just about to give some super carnal pleasure to this woman who solved the box. But somehow Kirsty narrowly escapes from them. Uh, the Cenobites leader, Pinhead, explains that although they have been perceived as both angels and demons they are simply explorers from another dimension seeking carnal pleasures and they can no longer differentiate between pain and pleasure which is kind of a nice metaphor for sadomasochism so it's kind of it's kind of like i don't want to compare it directly to 50 shades of gray but let's put this in the mix of the films that it okay. that it combines again together. zero kink shame but uh, this is where we're talking a different language. But cool, let's do it. Let's so sorry. Pain is pleasure. Pleasure is pain. Same diff. Let's hit it. Let's do it. So it it it's weird. So again, like I can't remember seeing this film. But so they. But consent is not big either. It's no. Like, well, no. The, I think pain is pleasure. No, Pete. So the consent I will inflict is, pain on you. So it's a weird 1980s British marriage consent sort of thing. So you know how. Oh fuck! Doing the puzzle is consent. To yeah, pain. doing the puzzle, which uh, is which oof. would not stand up in court now. Oof. But in this the 80s, in awful, horrible, like countries like ours, I believe, like we would have had some pretty bad laws on consent, right? Yeah, man. It was 77, I think, when when marriage was no longer. Um, was was on the auto consent like, okay problematic. so so this film was made in the 80s when things were still pretty yeah, thanks for being so. progressive clive barker what's up get at me <laughs> again horror films generally aren't woke except if they're it follows which was pretty woke. was it yeah i imagine it was a bit sexy and when i say sexy i mean revealing of the female characters well i don't think there was any nudity bodies. in it which is kind of nice but yeah it, look it was it was definitely it definitely had moments that were so a bit this is a pretty around. woke podcast all right, <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway so Again, Wikipedia uh, is strange because it says she narrowly escaped from the engineer, but now Pinhead is explaining to them. So I guess she didn't escape from them all. Okay. I think she's escaped in a way that <laughs> they were going to kill her. She escaped and they're like, okay, well. Yeah, you got a bit of, got a bit of, got a bit of fight, got a bit of spunk. <laughs> so they attempt to force Kirsty to return to their realm with them, but she informs Pinhead that Frank has escaped. So they're like, you're coming back with us. And she's like, well, I know one of your dudes has escaped. And maybe he's someone you should care about. The Cenobites agree to take Frank back and in exchange say they will consider giving Kirsty her freedom. However, the catch is that Frank has to confess to escaping them. So I think think that's again, there's a weird version of consent here. Very weird. Yeah, and again, very problematic. But there's they're, they're trying to establish some sort of consent. Oh, that's a long bow. Mm. Okay. Anyway, so Kirsty returns home where Frank has killed Larry and taken his identity by stealing his skin. <laughs> and that's, again, that's one sentence. This is, that's I love, awesome. love Wikipedia. 
Julie, the wife's overjoyed, isn't she? She's like, I get to bang Frank, and there's no weird questions about how he came back from the dead. That is weird, though. So if you and I'm, this is a purely hypothetical mm-hmm. because so I if a centibite. So yeah. so no no no. But if you were, mm. if you were someone's second wife, right? Yes. Um, and I imagine this person's maybe your second husband or your second wife. You know, depending on you know, period. So you know, you've you've had experience with marriage before. Yeah. But you've already decided that you want to cheat on this person's wife with their sibling, with this with this person you're about to marry with their yep. sibling, right? Yep. Um, so you probably don't feel too much guilt because when they come back as a skinless corpse, you're like, yes. What is up? <laughs> What's gonna? Thought you were dead. You're back, and I can't wait to steal some blood yeah, to bring look, you back to life. Let's get some blood. Let's get some skin, and let's do it. Don't you think? you'd be a bit disappointed when they took the skin of the oh, person, the person you, were cheating you were cheating on. I feel like that would be... that. That's almost like the best punishment for a cheater where it's like, okay, now you you're have to... You have to cheat as much as you want with this. But family. you have to bang... Like the person you're banging and cheating on has to look like the person you're cheating on with. <laughs> and so Frank's like, I got some skin. <laughs> look, we can have some sex. And she's like, my dude, See, that's, anyone else's skin would Don't be you think fun. that's a way more creative hell than just spikes and it's good play style yeah I accept that of the like mm, everything's a bit mm, and mm. think about like and I imagine hell it's eternal so things shake up so you get used to that and then you get to be like okay I'm gonna bang the same person again <laughs> and you show up to work and then there's spikes and oh. stuff and you're just surprised out of nowhere or maybe hell is monotony I should, man, Clive Barker, what is up? I'm coming for your career. I don't know if he's still alive. All right, motherfucking P, Barker. No, he probably is. Um, Okay. So, okay. Julia shows her what is purported to be Frank's flayed corpse in the attic, locking the door behind her. So Julia at this stage is basically like uh, like he's familiar right now, right? Like Julia is like, I am... In more of you being yeah. whatever, like, let's let's do this. The Cenobites appear and not fooled by the deception, demand the man who... Oh, I get... So, okay, so... Yeah, she's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's here, here's Frank. He's yeah. down here. Yeah. This is my this is my husband yeah, who I've been faithful right, normal to. Normal stuff going on here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Cenobites aren't fooled, demand the man who did this. Kirsty tries to escape but is held by Julia and Frank. Frank reveals his true identity to Kirsty, and when his sexual advances are rejected, oh, oh d- far out. No, but but, but okay, so, yeah. So he Frank tries is- to sleep with his niece. Yeah. Oh, yeah. eighties. Barker, bloody hell! They slipped stuff like this into the eighties, but they also Ooh. do this to make the bad guys super bad. So when their souls are eventually torn apart, you don't feel too bad about yeah, it. Okay. He decides to kill her to complete his rejuvenation. He accidentally stabs Julia instead. Like, he committed suicide at the start of this whole shit. <laughs> totally. Like, why is he like, I desperately need to come back to life? I think what happens is he goes to this dimension. Yes. Realises, actually, you know what? <laughs> pain is he- actually pain <laughs> and not pleasure. He <laughs> kink shames everyone <laughs> in the centipede dimension. You know what, guys? I was happy with the bar. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, my dudes, my dudes. Hey, hey, relax, relax, relax. This isn't how I do it. Centipedes did not enjoy being kink shamed. <laughs> Fuck this square. (laughs) Let's get him. (laughs) 
Anyway, so the Cenobites appear after hearing him confess to killing her father. Now sure he is the one they are looking for. They ensnare him with chains and tear him to pieces. And this is like a super gross 80s moment where there are all these chains and the camera sort of is almost in slow-mo. So you see all the bits of chunks going everywhere. But it's clearly like a plastic model with like fake guts inside being torn apart. But it's pretty gross. It's super gross. You would definitely faint. Like you would not enjoy like, I'm it. not feeling great right now. <laughs> With Frank out of the picture, mm. the Cenobites renege on the deal and attempt to abduct Kirsty. I thought consent, like you can't tell me this is this, they're about consent. Cenobites, I'm coming for you. But I like this because they teach that if somebody says they're a good person and has partial consent, chances are they're going to renege on it. Because Partial consent? No, How no. woke are we here? <laughs> Clive, this is, this is not your fault. This is Clive's fault. No, but I, I think what Clive's trying to say is it's like, if somebody tries to seem like good, like they feign at having consent under certain conditions, chances are they're going to renege. I think it's actually a woke message right here. That it's like only trust, only trust a Cenobite <laughs> that checks with you every time they want to flay you or tear you apart. Consent must be active and enthusiastic, exactly. Cenobites. You need to be like, please tear me apart with these chains. Yeah, now. And like, then Cenobites are like, so it's a minute has passed. We've done some chain tearing apart. Yeah. I'm going to do some more if you'd like. How's exactly. That? And enthusiastic Cenobites. You want, yeah, man, let's get mm. ripping us up with some chains. Okay, so ripping the puzzle box from Julie's dead hands... Kirsty banishes the Cenobites by reversing the motions needed to open the puzzle box. Kirsty's boyfriend. Kirsty's <laughs> <his> boyfriend. <laughs> Where have you been? Jesus. Shows up and helps her escape the collapsing house. Classic. Could have been handy when there were carnal pleasure seekers from other dimensions. Yes. To fight the engineer. Man, the engineer's here. I don't know what happened to the engineer. Anyway, so afterward, Kirsty throws the puzzle box onto a burning pyre. A vagrant who has been stalking... Who has been stalking, Kirsty. This is a little bit... Okay, number one. Clive. Not woke. Just because you're poor doesn't mean... (laughs) No, but I mean that. It's like... It's (laughs) it's one of those tropes where it's like, here's an evil vagrant. And it's like, guys, come on. So, this vagrant who has been stalking Kirsty walks into the fire and retrieves the box before transforming into a winged creature and flying away. The box ends up in the hands of the merchant who sold it to Frank offering it to another prospective customer. The end. I don't like that ending. No. The winged creature showing up and flying away. This comes from nowhere. Like, the Cenobites aren't winged. Nobody's, nobody said at any point that this merchant, who this merchant is, why he has winged people. You've given me very good advice that I was resistant to initially, which is push past the first idea. And this is a classic failure to adhere to the shag principle. Mm. This is Clive being like, wouldn't it be funny if... And every single element of this plot seems to be Clive Barker being like, but wouldn't it be funny See, I reckon, I reckon it's that thing where he's got to the end, resolution, Kirsty saved, boyfriend gets her out, the house has collapsed, she's got the puzzle. Now he's like, okay, now every movie has to end on a spooko moment, right? No horror movie Why can end on a... Why do horror movies have to end on a spooko moment? Because you've got to leave the theatre oh, with, the with that fear, with that yeah, spooko feeling. Sense. That's really important. So it always has to do that. But you're right. It's that first idea. He's, he's got to be like, okay, well... Okay, How do we so get it out of the fire? Yep, she okay. throws it on a fire. Um, Where are we going to do it so we know the story's going to happen again, happen again? Oh, yeah. Exactly the same fucking place we had it at the start. <laughs> so the whole point of watching this movie is utterly redundant and I'm an idiot. Clive, I'm coming for your career, my dude. 
at me. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?